me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel, he sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, don't swallow. <laughs> And while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing his sick fucking ass off. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. No power in the verse. What's going on, guys? Me. My name is Al De Niro, and welcome to episode 121 of the Midnight Hour. I don't think that this will feel like a full episode to you. I don't know if I have it in me to go the entire hour because I have such little amount of things to say. But, um, anyways, here I am. I promised. Ev- oh, no, I didn't promise anybody. I promised one person that I would do an episode where I talk about the year 2019 and give it a year in review type deal. Um,. And the more I tried to format that episode, and the more I tried to select a guest uh, potentially for that episode, the more difficult it seemed to me, because um, I've been feeling very insecure about how out of touch I am with a lot of things lately. Uh, For example, TikTok is a thing now, and I'm not really entirely sure what it is or what makes it different to Vine, and I feel like incredibly just old and lame and just horrible about myself for not knowing this. Um... But the same thing is true of like various other cultural trends and where I used to have my finger on the pulse of um, of all things popular, I don't really anymore. And I was trying to come up with like, well, what were my favorite movies of 2019? And I realized that I didn't really see many movies in 2019. Um, I am as ever uh, quite well informed about music uh, in the year 2019. So I think the bulk of this episode will comprise music talk. And if you don't like that, you can, like, feel free to tune out, and I won't be offended, and I can only apologize for the fact that you are not a music fan, or that you do not care for my opinions on music, um, I did send a tweet out, if I just check here, from my Midnight Hour, uh, Twitter account, I didn't want to tweet this from my main account, um, I don't really know why, but I just said, if hypothetically there were time for a Midnight Hour podcast before the year is out, what should be discussed, the best movies, music, and stuff of the year, question mark, anything else, question mark, and, um, I was going to get Jack and Lucemore to join me for this episode, and I realized that if I were to do that, um, I don't think it would go very well, because traditionally we tried to do a year in review episode, and I learned that the movie that Jack liked the most in whatever year it is, is either Independence Day or Up, and um, Lucemore similarly will say something about Star Wars or something like that. Um, so I don't know. Um, I saw, I think, two films in the cinema in the year 2019. Um, also, like, it's too late to be talking about 2019. I know we're in 2020 now. And one of the main reasons why I want to get this episode out as quickly as possible is because I was looking at um, album releases that are coming out this year. And we've already had two. Uh, sorry, we haven't already had two. We've had one that I've really enjoyed, which is the latest Beach Slang album. It's called The Deadbeat Bang of Heartbreak City. And then we have a Mac Miller album coming out this week, which is a spiritual successor to his uh, 2018 album, Swimming. 
Um, and I really liked Swimming. I think it's my favorite Mac Miller album. So like, I'm pretty excited for the new one. And I'm, I've just been looking at all this music that's lined up and I'm like, geez, I want to talk about all this at the end of the year. And um, I realized I didn't even do that last year. And, and 2019 was like a pretty damn good year for music, if, if, uh, if I may say so. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So what was the other thing I was going to say there? The two movies that I saw in the cinema, one was uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. You can check out my review of that on my channel. It is longer than the movie itself. Um, maybe. It might not be. I know my Last Jedi one is longer than The Last Jedi. I think my Nerve review is longer than the movie Nerve. Um, this is a thing that I do. Um, I, once myself and Santiago and or Lucemore uh, start talking about movies, uh, anything happens, and, and that's great. Uh, the other movie I saw was Joker. Did I see any others? Like I'm looking at what's here. Um, Parasite... Uh, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and there's another one. These are all on my to-watch list, and as soon as they become available for me to watch them, I will watch them. It's just leaving the house is like a whole lot of effort. Uh, what else did we have, man? Oh, I saw The Irishman. Jeez, what am I saying? Yeah, I saw The Irishman. Um, got confused about that because I didn't go to the cinema. I also saw Avengers Endgame, and to be fair, I saw uh, about half of the Captain Marvel movie on a plane before I tapped out because the screen was too small and there was the sun like beaming onto it and it was terrible. Um, so okay, I, I hadn't actually planned on talking about The Irishman at all because I only just remembered that I had seen it. But um, Joker was a movie that I really liked but I didn't love and I thought that it was very good from a technical standpoint. It was incredibly well acted, it was beautifully shot but it was just so derivative that I think that it loses points and um, one thing that I will say in favor of the movie Joker is that it is very hard to be original in a comic book movie because you're always going to have to draw from comic book things. You're always going to have to have certain reference points, um, which I think is really obvious. I, I'm not really going to go into spoilers, I guess. Um, but, like, there are things that happen in it that you have already seen on a screen, like, eight or nine times at this point. Um, now, that I don't actually mind. I think that that's all part of the story, and it's relevant to, to tell those things. But I recently went on a Martin Scorsese binge in preparation for The Irishman, because um, Scorsese is my favorite director of all time, and most of his films will comprise my top ten favorite movies of all time. But... Um, I started in like the late 70s and I watched Taxi Driver and I watched The King of Comedy and I, I watched them both within about a month of having seen Joker and it really made me realize how unoriginal Joker is as a movie. There are so many basically shot for shot selections where you can say this is a complete... Um, I wouldn't even say rip-off. I don't actually believe that it's a rip-off. I don't think that Todd Phillips is is making Joker thinking that he's being entirely original here. Like, that's not my assumption. Um, it's pretty obvious to me that he's tributing Scorsese and that Scorsese is his favorite um, director and all of those things. But it's just so much um, winking and nodding that it just loses points for me along the way. And I'm sure Todd Phillips will be devastated to know this because I know that he holds the Midnight Hour podcast in such high regard and like Todd I know that you're listening and I expect you to text me the second that you that you hear this um but yeah honestly I just I thought that it was very good and that should be that should be the thing that you take away but just it it, it stops becoming a great movie when you analyze how entirely derivative it is of in particular those two films um and there are elements from other uh, like crime movies and stuff like that that he takes as well um then uh, there's The Irishman, which I just think is a masterpiece. 
Um, I think it's the kind of movie that you'll either love or hate, depending on your reception to the style of film that it is. It's very long. Um, the technology that they use to de-age the actors is generally very good and not distracting, but there is one scene in particular which happens within the first half an hour of the movie um, where you just really see in very vivid detail how old Robert De Niro is and how unable to go he is. And um, that really does take you out of the movie and it really does destroy a little bit of the immersion. But other than that, uh, the movie is fantastic. It's incredibly well acted. A lot of people said that Robert De Niro was quite flat in it. I really disagree. I think he was uh, playing a character who is generally emotionless and an incredible, like almost psychopathic uh, type of character. But Robert De Niro puts as much emotion as you possibly can into a character like that. And the fact that you can like ruminate over how the character feels and, and what's actually going through his head. Um, I don't know. I, I think it would have been a great movie to do... Um, a really long review on um, but by the time I got round to it I just noticed that like there are so many better people on YouTube who do stuff like that and it makes me feel very like out of sorts and I get very like oh man why would anyone want to hear me talk about these kinds of things um, but yeah generally speaking I think what I said is true I, I think if you attempt to analyze Frank Sheehan uh, Frank Sheeran Frank Sheehan or Sheeran Frank Sheeran Sheeran um I'm literally going to have to fucking Google this because I'm 150 years old. And the reason why is that I work with someone who is named whatever the other one is. Um, Frank Sheeran. Okay, so I work with a guy called Frank Sheeran. Um, yeah, so um, if you try and analyze his, um, his emotional response to the things that happen in the movie, I actually think it's a really interesting lens through which to watch it. And, and you'll, you'll get a much better sense of uh, the type of acting Robert De Niro was doing in the movie because um, it may shock people to learn that I, El De Niro from Ireland, idolize Robert De Niro. Um, but yeah, I, I will, uh, I'll kind of like stand for him and defend everything. Like I won't defend most of the year 2000 onwards, um, in terms of the movies that he was in, but I really do think that this was a staggering performance and one that is worthy of acclaim and, and not one that you can just shun and say that he was flat in it. Uh, Joe Pesci was absolutely excellent and Al Pacino is 79 years old and he lit up every single scene that he was in. I think it was a ballsy move on his part to play Jimmy Hoffa and not really do much like Jimmy Hoffa-ish, um traits or um or what's the word i'm looking for here um I, I don't i don't really know but he just embodied the character very well i think in spite of the fact that there are not really a lot of visual or um or uh aural similarities between the two um but he he brought so much energy into the movie and i think that for such a long movie the pacing in, in it is incredibly good because you're kind of hooked from the start by the the slowness and the kind of, I guess, like the artistic presentation of the era that it's doing. Um, and then when Al Pacino comes in, like you're ready for that energy and you're ready to be lit up and, and it's... Um, it just works so well. I really think that the three of them were, were fantastic and it was so good to see them all in this movie. And even if it is like a eulogy or a funeral for the gangster genre in general uh, on behalf of Scorsese, I think it's so worth watching. And um, it's kind of like the anti-Goodfellas in a way. Like there's some really interesting things in it the way it's such a slow burning movie. Um, 
And every time it shows like a certain gangster, it will pop up on the screen and say like, oh, this guy uh, like died brutally, like seven gunshots to the head, all of that stuff. But it doesn't actually show you any of the violence. It just spells it out for you in vivid detail that this is not the type of lifestyle that you want to get into. Because when in Goodfellas, he shows all of the violence with, um, with, with much like kind of cinematic rigor and detail. Um, it gets criticized for being a movie that glorifies the gangster lifestyle, which I just don't understand how you can take that message from the movie, but that criticism will always be there. Whereas The Irishman is like the antithesis of that kind of argument, and you, you can't really go against it. So um, if anyone is criticizing The Irishman for doing the same thing, I guess it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of ordeal. But um, I, I think it, it's such a good movie. And um, another criticism that gets leveled against it is that it doesn't really have enough women. Um, it is based on a fucking true story and women did not play a very central role in this true story. Um, having said that though, I do think that Anna Paquin's line, I think she only has like two lines of dialogue, but, but one of her lines in it is for me the most important and impactful line of the whole movie. So um, yeah, there's all my thoughts on that. So you can take that to the, you know what I should Google is um, TV shows uh, from 2019 because I actually watched quite a few um the most recently I started watching The Boys on Amazon Prime. It's like this anti-superhero type show. Um, or it's like the inverse of the Marvel Universe. And it sounds very contrived and bad when you describe what it is. But it's basically a world where superheroes are treated like gods. And um, their public image is very well maintained by like marketing companies and things like that. Um and it turns out that they're actually like just as bad if not worse than your average corrupt criminal or sorry corrupt politician um and it's it's a really interesting take on the genre i feel and i think in since the year like 2008 pretty much the whole world has been in uh, superhero movie hysteria and i think that the boys is a very interesting take on it like it's just another direction something that people weren't expecting and it's it's really cool to watch also uh carl urban is in it and he just plays a very compelling and excellent character and and the main guy in it is so relatable too um and then there's uh there's like a superhero who has just been inducted into the world of superheroes and, and you relate to her too because you get to see what it's like from like a new person joining the the whole superhero cult and i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything else in it because um you know i'm not here to do spoilers but i would recommend watching that show it's only eight episodes you can get the free trial of amazon prime and watch it in like a week and then or a day if you don't really have a whole lot of time in your hands um and then you can you know, uh, have a have a great time watching that. Um, another TV show that I watched in 2019 was season three of Atypical, which is a Netflix show. Uh, it's been going since I think the year 2016, maybe 15. I'm not sure. Um, but it's about a it, it's about like this family ultimately. Um, season one is kind of mostly centered around um, the boy. His name is Sam. He's like a 15, 16 year old kid in season one and he has autism and um i th i think this show 
approaches autism in a very interesting way. Like it, it does. There are some things that I guess um, that woke people would describe as quote unquote problematic. Um, I'm sure that that's true, but I also feel like most of the reviews that I have read of the show from people who are on the spectrum or are related to people on the spectrum all seem to say that it's a very positive representation of um, autistic people, even if at times it's not entirely correct. Um, but one interesting thing about the show was that after season one, they listened to the people who said that it's not entirely correct all of the time. Um, they hired more um, actors who are um, what is it? Who are atypical? Like who are who are not um, who would not be considered neurotypical? Um, they hired more writers with um, experience with um, non-neurotypical people and. Um, the show really comes into its own, I think, uh, in season three because they kind of approach the whole family and the issues that the whole family are dealing with. And as a result of that, we get to see other characters in the show being fleshed out, which is really interesting because I think oftentimes when shows focus on one character, they tend to have a few very good seasons and then they just trail off into insanity and i don't see this show going that way as of yet um it's not an amazing show like i mean it's kind of like it's kind of like a sitcom it, it's sort of like it, it's it's low budget enough and very not entirely predictable but like it, it's not the most amazing thing i've ever seen it's just it's very heartwarming there are a lot of scenes in it that will make you feel things and i think that that's something that we all need <laughs> it's a great show to watch on a sunday night because you're like all depressed about the fact that you have to go to work the next day and, and you kind of end each episode with like ah oh, that's that's good that's nice that makes me feel good so um I get like uh, there's been lots of TV shows out like Stranger Things. I really enjoyed season three of Stranger Things. I actually thought that it was phenomenal. Um, it was quite possibly my favorite one. The last episode, just the finale, everything about the finale was so damn good. And um, yeah, everybody knows about that. Um, the Mandalorian is a TV show that came out. I'm only on episode. Well, I've just finished episode two. I think I still have to watch episode three i'm not entirely sure but um i will get to that and I, I would consider doing a podcast with santiago and Lucemore about the implications of the mandalorian series if there are any the sense that i get from it so far is that it's kind of a um like there is one storyline and that's it and everything that happens along the way is like a mini side quest adventure type thing it, it strikes me as that kind of tv show i might be wrong um but it seems i get a lot of like um star trek voyager kind of vibes off it in that sense in the storytelling sense um i think did that black mirror did that latest season of that come out in 2019 let me do a quick google here pro pro podcasting right here um before i do that actually will i just see was there anything else um the expanse i need to watch that i haven't watched mindhunter season two like i've completely fallen off lads i you know i used to be so good for this kind of thing and now i am just not um so let me see black mirror 2019 was there a new yeah series five okay yeah series five i actually did a review of one of the episodes uh smithereens which is one of my favorite episodes of black mirror i think um, it might, act, it, it's probably like top three in total. Um, and I don't know what would make up the list entirely. 
but Smithereens is is one of the main episodes that comes to mind when I think of episodes of Black Mirror that I loved. Everything in it, from the acting, the storyline, um, just the the message it tried to portray um i remember at the time people saying it's not a black mirror episode but like fuck off it is it is the embodiment of a black mirror episode it is the epitome of the very concept of black mirror it's just that it's not fucking futuristic enough for some people um but it's great um the other one striking vipers about (laughs) striking vipers is a very interesting episode i don't really know like what i think of the implications of it um, but it is really fucking interesting to watch. I, I, I recommend, like, um, how could I give you, like, a one-line, uh, incentive to watch it? Um, I'm actually not gonna, it, it's, 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 uh, based around video games and the implications of, like, uh, VR implementation in video games, and then, um, I, I guess, like, it plays with the boundaries of what is considered acceptable, um, in social relationships, I suppose, um, and it it does it in a really interesting way. And then there's episode three of series five, which is Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too, and it's um one of the worst episodes of Black Mirror that I have seen. Um, nothing to do with anyone in it. Like Miley Cyrus is fine in it. The character that she plays is fine. Just the the whole like concept and, and everything around it, I think, is very weak. And um, that's pretty much... Uh, so there's a thing in episode three, and this is an observation I made that I think would sound really clever if I worked for like AV Club or one of them. But before I tell you, let me blow my nose. Like, good fucking Jesus, I'm so nasally. So in real life, there is a band called Nine Inch Nails, one of my favorite bands of all time. And one of their very first singles is a song called Head Like a Hole. And in episode three of series five of Black Mirror, they they rework that song into a pop song where it's like, um, instead of uh, head like a hole, black as your soul, I'd rather die than give you control. It goes like, it goes, hey, yeah, whoa, I'm on a roll, riding so high, achieving my goals. And instead of bow down before the one you serve, you're going to get what you deserve, what you deserve. It goes, I'm so stoked on ambition and verve i'm gonna get what i deserve and it's like in my opinion this version of head like a hole and its reworking is so lazy that it reminds me of them just taking all of the concepts from the original black mirror episodes and just retreading them out in this episode like it's just such a it's just so lazy and um I thought it was really poor. A lot of people really liked it, and that's fine. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I just I just didn't enjoy it at all. It, I think that episode and the Where's Waldo one or whatever from season one, I think that those are the two weakest episodes of Black Mirror in total. Um, we also had a Black Mirror movie called Bandersnatch, which came out very, very, very late 2018, to the point where it would be considered 2019. Um, and it was this like really ambitious sort of... Uh, interactive movie where you choose everything that the person does and I, I I think the the concept is interesting I think that what they're trying to say in it is interesting because I don't actually believe in free will and I think that the message of the 
of the episode itself, which is that you're not really in control of your own choices, even though it seems like you are. Like, I totally believe that. But I just found Bandersnatch to be very frustrating. And I understand this is like a meta thing and it is deliberately frustration or it is deliberately frustrating so that it simulates the frustration that the character has but I just did not enjoy it at all it just didn't really give me what I was looking for the acid trip scene was pretty cool but other than that like I just was not into it um elsewhere in 2019 we had some video games that were released that I'm sure you people loved um, there was Death Stranding, there was The Outer Worlds, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, there was a new Call of Duty Modern Warfare game, um, there was the re- remake of Resident Evil 2, um, I didn't play any of these fucking games, Apex Legends came out as well, FIFA 20 came out, I didn't buy any of them, in 2018 I spent like, I was looking at my fucking receipts, and I spent like 450 to 500 euros on video games, and I didn't really play any of them, I bought Red Dead Redemption 2 on the day of its release, and I downloaded the like 100 billion gigabyte version of it onto my shitty fucking first gen Playstation 4, and um, I played it for about four hours, and then I just went straight back to Age of Empires 2. Like, I am a fucking disaster human being. I'm one of those people that will just not part with the thing that I love. I remember when I used to live with Nap, like, way back, uh, 2012, I think, and... Um, the two of us were very like clued into or, or like hooked on making FIFA videos and that was all that we wanted to do all the time and sometimes Nep would play World of Warcraft and he would get so into it that it would take up days of his life and he'd fall behind in video making and I would just look at him and be like man what the fuck are you doing like you don't get any money from World of Warcraft like you need to make FIFA videos and, and just stop with that World of Warcraft nonsense and I do the same fucking thing with Age of Empires and I do it all the time and I don't know, uh, it, it's like it's like one of the worst things about myself, but also, it's an amazing game, I really enjoy it, and I've streamed it a few times, and you guys seem to enjoy, at, at the very least, listening to me talk while I play it, so I'll take that, um, and for anyone who's interested, they've re-released Age of Empires 2 in, like, Super HD, with loads of new features and loads of new civilizations, and it's like 20 fucking dollars, and you should go buy it, it's a real-time strategy game, in my opinion, it's the best real-time strategy game, others will tell you StarCraft 2 is, um, others are wrong. Nah, I've never even played StarCraft 2, and I don't think that anything could tempt me away from AoE at this point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad for me that, like, video games used to be such a huge part of my life, and I could feel, um, in my YouTube days when I was hammering out FIFA videos every single day, and all I could do was play FIFA, um, I felt my love for video games dwindling then, but I thought to myself, like, YouTube is ruining my video game experience. All I have to do is play FIFA, and when I play something else, I feel guilty because it's taking time away from money I could earn playing FIFA, or, like, let's also be real, like, fun that I would have playing FIFA. Um, but then I, I also think it's just that I'm getting old, and this is what happens when you get old, and I wish I could be one of those people that ages gracefully and fucking appreciates the world around them and is willing to play Death Stranding. Because, like, I love Hideo Kojima, like, I love the soundtrack to the game, I love, like, Metal Gear Solid is, like, my favorite fucking media experience of, of my whole life, but I just, I just can't dedicate that much time to walking up cliffs with FedEx packages, you know, I just don't have it in me, so, um, that's that, I guess, uh, is there anything else before I go into music, um, Somebody said your own personal highlights of the year, I'm one of those fucking cunts that every single time... Um, it's a year end. I'm very much 
so a lot of people are like, oh, new year, new me. And then a lot of other people are like, oh, here's the time for all the new year, new me people. And, and I hate like all of that really, but I do genuinely feel like the passing of a year, um, is an ideal time for reflection and, um, like a, a good time to look back at your own personal growth and, and sort of, uh, judge yourself against the person that you were in the year before like it's an arbitrary line yes it's 12 months and this is the last day of the last month or whatever and um, but I still just feel like there's some value in it but for the last like maybe four years I have been looking back and saying this has been a terrible year this has been a terrible year and I'm like I'm wondering if it's even worthwhile doing that anymore um I did have some very good times in 2019 um, but I also had a lot of really bad times and I had some, um, like, I don't know, I had some really bad, like personal moments that are like two of the worst things that can happen to a person happened to me in 2019. And that was why I was like fully prepared to do this, um, midnight hour season thing. I was going to do 10 episodes. I had all the guests not lined up, but I had, I had like five people agreed um, two of whom have never been on the show before. It would have been really exciting. And then um, one of my good friends died. And then I kind of had like a, I don't know, I was off work uh, for a long time on compassionate leave. And then um, I didn't really put any of that time to good use in terms of, I don't know, creative output, but it was definitely time that I needed. And um, I've had like, I've had like other issues, like health issues and stuff. Um, I have extremely bad insomnia that is the worst that it's ever been and I constantly feel like uh, just fucking exhausted and all I ever want to do is lie down and like the thoughts of like getting to grips with something new or the thoughts of putting effort into anything outside of work um, these are all like just concepts that are very far away and uh, one of the main things that I'm looking for in 2020 is to conquer my insomnia and um, one of the first steps to doing that is I have to get an operation on my nose and then um, a few other things. But yeah, I start a new job next week um, and I will be on a new health insurance program. So I'll have a look at that and see if there's anything that can be done um, in that regard to sort of help me with the um, struggle and all of that stuff. Um, so there were not many highlights is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the year has ended strongly and, and I'm recording this right now, um, on a Tuesday afternoon because I'm off work in between jobs. Um, and I'm going to see Slipknot tonight. So a pretty good start to 2020, I feel. Um, other than that, we have, uh, Sean asked if I could talk about conspiracy theories. I have an episode of this podcast lined up to talk about conspiracy theories. Um, with my friend Miguel, who I really fucking love recording podcasts with Miguel. I feel like the chemistry that we have is just incredibly on point. And um, I feel like when it comes to the midnight hour, most people will only accept either Jack um, or else uh, Loose Moore and Jack Brown. And I kind of feel like, I don't know if I'm right about this, but I get the sense that that is the only combination that will please people um and i i don't know if that's just because as the podcast became mostly listened to on audio platforms instead of youtube it has meant that the comments have died out 
um, which would make sense, but it's just really fucking hard for me to judge what you people want. <laughs> um, so yeah, that makes me hesitant to record new episodes, but I have so many people who want to come back on the podcast and, and that I really want to talk to, but then I just get worried, like, there was only four episodes in 2019, you know, and I just get worried that, like, I'm, like, flogging a dead horse here or whatever, um, and that people aren't going to care, and then... I, I, one thing that I'm like super insecure about, I guess, is my guests coming onto the show and feeling like it was a complete waste of their time. Like that, that's like, that's the thing that like really fucking eats away at me because like sometimes I've had people on and the only comments that I've gotten were negative. And even if it's like, you know, there, there could be like 3000 people listen um, 12 comment and, uh, one of them leaves a negative comment, but like the negative comment really fucking stings. Cause it's like, man, I have, I have put so much effort into getting this person onto the show. And like, I I've told them like how great my audience is and, and how like generally speaking, my audience is probably the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like tolerant and, and just like fucking like basically polite <laughs> audience that you can get from like a, like a small scale show of my level. Um, and then there's just a negative comment and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, why do I bother? Um, but yeah, we're talking about one comment and this is purely a, it's like, I would fucking hate to be a really big YouTuber. Actually, maybe I wouldn't because you can bury people who, who leave negative comments. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I will have Miguel on the show and we'll talk about conspiracy theories because that man has a very funny and very like unique kind of insight into those types of issues, I feel. Um, but he's also very well read on conspiracy theories and, and um, I don't know, I, like, I really, really enjoy his perspective on stuff like that. I, I kind of wish in many ways that I had the kind of mind that he has because he has like a very, geez, how can I put this? Um, he has like a fundamental appreciation of why everyone thinks the way that they do, but he also has like this, this secondary layer of just really fucking witty, like comedic insight, I feel. And, um, it's, yeah, no, I don't know. It's so different. Like I, I, uh, I look forward to having him back on the show. And then another question from Jack's angle, Jack's angle who says where original Jack has been since 2016. Dude, I don't fucking know. <laughs> He's not on Twitter anymore. I can't even fucking ask him. Um, yeah, no, I haven't spoken to Jack in a very long time. And uh, I don't know what he's doing. I hope he's doing well. I see, I, I see, um, actually, you know what? I haven't even seen him on Instagram in a very long time. But his his Instagram stories pop up from time to time and I check them out. And like, it seems like he's doing well. I, I think he's, um, he's the kind of person who... I, I've always felt like he's destined for big things and maybe not necessarily big things in like a Hollywood walk of fame uh, or Hollywood. What is that thing called? Is it the walk of fame with the star? Maybe not like necessarily that kind of big thing, but like, I just feel like he will go places and he will get all of the things that he wants in life. Um, no matter how insecure or doubtful he may be about himself. I really think he's the type of person who, um, once he can visualize something, he will find a way to to go after it and um yeah i'm super i'm super envious of that trait even though i sometimes don't know if he knows that he has it but he does and um in the very 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 unlikely event that he's listening to this um i would like him to know that <laughs> he will get all the things that he wants in life so um with all that out of the way what was that like 15 33 have i been talking for 33 minutes and i haven't even got to the one thing that i wanted to talk about jesus um 
I would actually genuinely like it if you guys could leave a comment and tell me uh, either or both um, what you enjoyed most in 2019 in terms of media uh, or even if like how the year was for you from a personal perspective um, and then I would like you to tell me what you're looking forward to most in the year 2020 so man I, uh, I've drank half a can of Red Bull and I have heartburn I also ate a jam bong which is the thing that only Irish people know um, I think the English will be like yeah that's French for ham but it is it means something different in Ireland and it's very good Ah, right so um, I have in front of me from Wikipedia list of 2019 albums and um, it means albums released in 2019 not here's a list of 2019 albums so I'm going to start from January and work my way down to December and I will stop at the albums that I have listened to and I will tell you what I thought of them and whether or not I believe they are worth your time. Let me just do a quick check on my phone. Um, Alright, pro podcasting. When I when I podcast by myself, I I enjoy like this kind of extra layer of freedom that I have to it. Like I really just feel like I'm talking to a bunch of people in a small room and that I can say whatever I want and no one will call me on it. So um on January 18th, we had the first album I'm going to talk about. It's called The Wizard. Uh, it's by a, a rapper called Future. It's actually, Wikipedia has this wrong. The full full album title is Future Hendrix Presents The Wizard. And it's not The Wizard, it's The Wizard. Um, because vowels are lame. Oh, man. So... Um, the Wizard is like 18 tracks long. It's about an hour, I think, to listen to. And it has only got two features. Hold on. Let me let me actually not list all of these things off from memory. And let me just actually look at the facts. Yeah, it only has two features. Um, one track is called Unicorn Perp. It's got Young Thug and Gunna. And then the other track is called First Off, which has Travis Scott, which is one of the highlights of the album. Um, it's actually 61 minutes, and I said it was an hour. I'm fucking great, man. I have such a good musical ability. I'm the man. Um, the first single of the album was called Crushed Up, and I think you should go listen to that. And if you don't like it, don't listen to the album. Um, for me, it's kind of like a Future by Numbers album. It is everything that we know to expect from Future. It doesn't say anything new. It just presents it in a slightly different way, and I really fucking enjoy it. But to me like future is so interesting to me i think he's such an overlooked rapper by um the people who listen to the likes of uh lil peep and lil zan and post malone and like all that stuff um in my opinion i don't know if i'm right about this i'm very like not clued into um rap music and what's considered canon in the mythology of rap music but in my opinion uh, at least from my observation future invented the kind of like purple codeine hazed like half singing half rapping just bleeding onto the page type of thing that the likes of post malone do um i think future does it better than anybody else and i think he does it in such a more nuanced and interesting way like i listen to some post malone songs and like it's just like it's it's dark and dreary to the point of being cheesy like it's just so fucking over the top um and I think uh, I Fall Apart or whatever 
by Post Malone is just, I think that that is like in terms of uh, racing to the bottom emo rap, I think that that song is the absolute worst version of I'm a Sad Rapper um, that music gets. <laughs> so um, I think Future has lots of songs with that exact sentiment that are handled in a much more dignified way. And I think that Future, although he has so many flaws and so many clangers, I still think that he just has a level of baseline integrity that's slightly higher than the average other emo rapper. Um, and for that reason, and that reason alone, I think this album is worth your time. Um, but if you do enjoy Future, you should just check out his 2015 slash 2016 run where he released like, I think it was like three albums and like six mixtapes and it was just legendary. And every week you had a different Future project to look forward to. And it was just, I don't know, I, I think he's great. And there's there's very little difference in, well, there is differences. Uh, there, are, there are plenty of differences in his projects, but... Um, I think the overall sound, the overall ethos is still the same. And it's, I don't know, it's so interesting to me. Um, he definitely got darker and darker and darker as time has gone on. And The Wizard is kind of like maybe a rerun of all of the different projects that we got from him in 2015 slash 2016. Um, it doesn't have one central kind of theme, but it's it's worth listening to, even though it's not his best. Um, the next thing we have, hold on, Backstreet Boys released an album in 2019, and I did not know about this, I didn't even know that they were still releasing, uh, January 25th, Bring Me the Horizon released, um, their, what, sixth album, I think, called Ammo, which is Portuguese for love, because their lead singer, Oliver Sykes, has, uh, fallen in love with a Brazilian lady, um, and Ammo is like a... I, man, I, I have such difficulty expressing my feelings about Bring Me the Horizon as a band. They're, they're a band that like I think is fun to listen to, but I feel like I will look back in 10 years and really cringe at myself for being the age that I am and even the gender that I am and listening to Bring Me the Horizon. Um, but they do have some sick riffs and like they do have such like nice little production t uh, tweaks and stuff like that. Um, so... Ammo is like, oh, I, I don't even know what to make. A Ammo is a pop record disguised as a metal record. And it has it has a lot of interesting um, avenues in it that Bring Me the Horizon are attempting to explore. Like there's a track on there called Nihilist Blues, uh, which features Grimes. And it's basically like a 90s techno song. Um, then there's uh, In the Dark, which is like very electronic. Mother Tongue, which is essentially a Backstreet Boys song. And I'm not being, that's not like a pejorative statement or even a facetious one. Mother Tongue is a track that you would hear from late 90s Backstreet Boys or other pop bang bands of that ilk. Um, Medicine is a song that is kind of channeling the latter years of Linkin Park. Wonderful Life is like a mix between... Um, early 2000s new metal and geez i don't even know what else uh, it, it's like dubstep maybe like some kind of dnb I, I don't know it's it's uh kind of all over the place um heavy metal is a song that uh, it i don't know <laughs> a lot of this album um ollie appears to be feuding with his own fans for saying that he's not metal enough and his response is that he doesn't give a shit and um I do definitely dig the attitude. I, I like a lot of the tracks on the album, but I find it very hard to listen to over and over. And and it's weird because it was actually my most listened to album 
in 2019 and I just wonder if that's because it came out in early 2019 so I had the whole year to listen to it but I definitely like I definitely played it to death when it first came out and now I'm a little bit like ashamed or something (laughs) I feel like how um I feel like how those you know when politicians are like staunchly anti-gay and then it turns out that they've been like fucking a busboy in their office for like a year I feel like how they probably feel in the aftermath of that scandal. <laughs> That's how I feel about knowing that I've listened to Ammo the most in 2019. But um, it, it's just, it's a cool album. Um, and it, it, 2019 was it was a very good year for Bring Me The Horizon. Like, they released this album. They pierced that mainstream veil a little bit more. They've become one of the biggest metal bands in the world. They sell so much merchandise. They were on... Um, Jimmy Fallon, I think, or Jimmy Kimmel. They were on Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, they played a whole bunch of songs there. They did like a huge back-to-back world tours throughout 2019. And then at the very dead of 2019, they released an album called Something Fucking Outrageous. That's not what it's called. Hold on till I read this fucking shit out to you. Music to listen to, dance to, blaze to, pray to, feed to, sleep to, talk to, grind to, breathe to, help to. Her. Anyway, it goes on and on and on and on. And it's... um. It's complete fucking garbage. It's not an album, it's an EP. It's 75 minutes long, and it is just fucking nonsense. Like, there is very little in here to be, um, to be, what's the word, um, dazzled by. I feel like they got very confident when they released this, and, um, I don't know, it's nonsense. It's it's an underground EP, and it is basically just a collection of stems from the from the ammo recording sessions in my opinion um i think that if you listen to ammo and then you go and listen to music to listen to or whatever the ep is called um you will find yourself treading over a lot of the same stuff a lot of the same sounds and um it is boring and dull as hell so in my opinion um they ended the year on a terrible note um but also in my opinion they're kind of like I don't know, I want to be nice about Bring Me The Horizon because I kind of respect them or whatever, but, like, you should you should honestly have a look at, like, any video of them live and tell me that Oliver Sykes is a good singer or screamer because he is absolutely atrocious and he basically has no voice. Like, oh, man, I don't know, I, I find them actually, like, difficult to listen to. Like, sometimes he mimes... Uh, he really phones it in, lets the crowd scream. There's a guy in the band called Jordan Fish who literally carries the whole fucking band with his voice and his mixing. And I would imagine he has a huge hand in production too. Um, and I think since he joined the band, it's it's no coincidence to me that Jordan Fish joined the band and then they became like uh, much more mainstream and, and much more of a crisp and finesse kind of sound. Um, my favorite album of theirs though is Sempaternal because of the Terry Date production. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Another album from January 25th was Everything's For Sale by a rapper called Boogie. Um, it's, there's no, in my opinion, on, on this album, there's no particular standout track, but it's still like a super interesting album to listen to. Um, he's, I, I think, Boogie is like a very young rapper, I feel, and this is his debut album. He's only had EPs and mixtapes before. Um, and I was kind of expecting something along the lines of Mike or Earl Sweatshirt, Uh, when I listened to this and I don't know why I just felt like maybe he had been marketed that way to me um but everything's for sale is like um it's like it's like mature and level-headed and um I I don't feel like there's any standout singles for me to talk about or point you to but it's it's just a nice 
little hip-hop album uh, to listen to. Um, next up is... There's an album called New Breed by a singer called Don Richard. Um, it's a nice album. It's worth your time. That's all I have to say on that. Uh, let's see. February 1st, we have a new album from Busted. Holy shit. Where are all these people? Uh, Girlpool had an album called What Chaos is Imaginary. I listened to it, but I did not feel... Um, I didn't feel like super incentivized to listen to it again, so that's that. Um, Ariana Grande released Thank You Next. Is that the one that she released like a whole bunch of albums in in very short span of time? Um, this is the one that has. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank You Next is the one. Ghostin' is the track that's like about Mac Miller and. Um, uh, honestly, I don't think I listened to this one the whole way through because I don't remember. I know Seven Rings and Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored were both um, singles off of it, but I don't really think I listened to either of them. Um, I can't remember, um, but I, I do think her the God is a Woman album was really good. Um, what else was there? LCD Sound System, I don't think I even listened to that. New album from Avril Lavigne. I did not listen to that. Let's just scroll way, way down here. What do we have? So that's it for January and February. Um, we go into March and we have Brian Adams is still at it. Jesus. Um, Two Chains released "Rap or Go to the League," which was um, critically acclaimed, but I didn't listen to it because I find him to be the complete embodiment of boring rap. Um, the Japanese House released an album called Good at Falling, which I listened to for the first time on the plane uh, to New York on what would have probably been like March 14th or something. And um, it's a really good album. Uh, it's it's well worth your time. I don't really know what way to describe it. It's kind of like it's kind of like an indie sort of. Um, it's described here as dream pop slash synth pop, and I guess that's I guess that's relatively accurate. But it, it's interesting though because um, from my memory of it, it, it had like um, indie and shoegaze kind of elements, and I really like the shoegaze dream pop combination i think that that's such a winner like i feel like there's no way you can do wrong when you combine both of those things so um yeah good at falling is worth your time uh solange is that i really hope that's how you pronounce her name i don't think i've ever heard anyone say it out loud before um but she released her second studio album called when i get home and it's really fucking good she's beyonce's sister for anyone who's confused uh, let me just double check that to make sure that's correct um I would, uh, I'd really recommend listening to both of her albums. Her first one is called Seat at the Table. The second one is called When I Get Home. Um, and they're both just really good listens from start to finish. Um, I see here we have... Oh, Soccer Punch by Sigrid was a pretty good album too. Um, she's this Norwegian singer and she had like a lot of success with this EP that had tracks on it like Don't Kill My Vibe. And what was the other one? Um... Oh man, there was she had like another song, but she she sang um Don't Kill My Vibe on Jules Holland, I believe. And the video went like kind of viral. Um but Sucker Punch is a pretty good album. It's it's maybe like maybe padded a little bit too much. Um but it it, it also took like a long time to release. Uh which may have actually harmed her momentum or something like that, but I enjoyed it. I think that it's worth listening to. It, it's a basic pop album for anyone who's uh, interested. Well what else do we have here? Um you have to respect how little effort I put into my podcasts, don't you? Um, geez. 
Carano and Danger Mouse released an album called Lux Prima or Lux Prima. I have to be honest, it's very underwhelming. Um, it's interesting to listen to just from the like Danger Mouse and Carano have an album together kind of novelty, but it, it's unfortunately not very good. March 22nd, we have an album called Pony by a guy called Orville Peck, and this album is so fucking good. I actually listened to it yesterday again. It's, um, it's like a... Oh man, I don't know how to even explain it. It's this kind of like dark and ominous album filled with... St- it's it's like country music, right? Um, it has all the basic elements of country music, but it, it's like country music done by Trent Reznor or something like that. It's it's got such a sinister edge to every single like hook and beat in it. Um, but it, it's about like it, it's an album filled with stories about the darker sides of West. No, it's not even that. Like the seedier sides of the old west maybe um i don't know how to describe it at all it's it's like um it's like a bunch of gay cowboy stories and stuff like that but like it's so fucking good to listen to um i really 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 recommend this album it would probably be in like my top 20 albums of 2019 um if i had to come up with such a list which thank god i do not thank god you don't expect that of me um march 29th billy eilish released her album when we all fall asleep where do we go um it's pretty fucking good in my opinion it's not music i listen to uh, very often but like i listened to it and i was like yeah that, that's great um we all know the main song off of it like bad guy and such um and the whole album is pretty much it continues in that vein and i get very excited when young artists have um a good grasp of their identity from such a young age because it makes me excited about the type of music that they're going to make for the next while um for example uh when lord first released um what was the first album called pure heroin um it sounded like somebody who was very comfortable with her own sound, knew exactly what she wanted to do, was aware of her influences, but did not let that dominate her own creative input. Um, and what we got was uh, like a stunning album and then a stunning follow-up in melodrama and uh, hopefully another album from her this year. Um, but, but Billie Eilish has that kind of thing where she seems very clued into what she wants to be and that makes me really excited because when somebody has a firm grasp of of what they're about, they're able to produce things um, that are far more cohesive and um, uh, lend themselves to greater creative analysis. And uh, like, I guess Radiohead is like the quintessential example of a band like that, where Pablo Honey is kind of like, they had like some sense of what they wanted to be, and then they really perfected it in the next album and the next album. Um, I I guess like, if I were to make my point a little bit clearer, someone like Jaden Smith is the opposite of this. He has like an abundance of resources, um, and he is very aware of what he likes, but he's not very aware of what he wants to be. He just knows the things that he likes. And so all of his music is colored by his influences rather than his own actual creative output. And um, yeah, so I get excited when artists have the like opposite of that going on. Um, April 5th, we had Morbid Stuff by Pup, a kind of pop-punk band, but they're like a very good pop-punk band. Um, they're... What, the album before Morbid Stuff is called something like If This Tour Doesn't Kill You, I Will, or something like that. Um, But yeah, no, they're a super cool band, well worth listening to. Um, On the same date, we had Titanic Rising by Why Is is Blood? 
Weyers Blood. I don't know how you fucking pronounce this name, and it drives me crazy. And I saw her on Twitter say it's pronounced like Wise, and it doesn't look like it's pronounced like Wise. And I wonder, like, was I being memed when I saw that? But let's say it's Wires Blood. Um, Titanic Rising is a stunning album. It's I don't even know. I've seen it described as like um as like a like 1950s revival or some like mad shit like that it's described here as like art rock progressive pop and dream pop um and then i like i don't know i don't know what label to put it in it sounds to me like the type of music you would listen to if you were relaxing in a 1960s diner but you were doing it in a science fiction novel or something like that i really don't know uh, like what to fucking tell you about this other than go listen to this album it is very good um to follow up on that we had uh, Beyonce released a live album. I didn't even listen to that. Um, the Rolling Stones released a new album. I didn't even know that. Cage the Elephant released an album. Um, I've never understood their name. Are they demanding that I cage an elephant? Or is the elephant's name Cage? Um, the Mountain Goats released an album called In League with Dragons. And it is very good and very worth listening to. And if you don't know The Mountain Goats, I don't know if I would start with that album. Um but the Mountain Goats are this band that are led by a guy called John Darniel. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And um, they used to be just him and a four-track recorder um, with like very, very low-budget, um, lo-fi indie records um, that are colored by his extremely descriptive lyrics. Um, he is actually a novelist, I believe, um, in addition to being the Mountain Goats. Um but then I think it was like 97 um, when a, a record label signed John Danielle and the music became a little bit more well produced. And now like every record is pretty much, I think he does all the instruments. Um, but each record is like a concept where he tells a bunch of different stories and he's such a good storyteller as a lyricist like not don't think like Bruce Springsteen like that kind of storyteller he's very more specific and descriptive than um than Bruce Springsteen um but like different I don't know I don't know how to explain it his voice can be very nasally and if you don't like it you won't enjoy any of it but there's like Honestly, there's about fucking 25 to 30 years worth of records for you to go listen to if you if you get to discover the Mountain Goats for the first time. So that's like super exciting for you. Um, there's a band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I will never listen to them because their name sucks so bad. Um, in May, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes released an album called End of Suffering, and I thought it was okay. Um, I was like kind of a fan of Gallows way back in like 2007. Um when Frank Carter was their lead singer, but then I kind of moved away from that kind of music, and um, I found his Frank Carter and the Rattlesnake stuff gets less and less heavy as it goes on, um, and I don't really have a problem with that. I actually really like the refined sound of, uh, of the lead single from this album, Crowbar, but the album itself just didn't hook me, and um, I don't really know why. I guess I would give it like a 5.5 out of 10 or something. Like, I still listen to it, but I just don't really super enjoy it. Um, and then there was one of the albums of the year, according to most critics, which is UFOF by a band called Big Thief. And it was one of two albums that they released in 2019, and they were both like serious winners um, in terms of uh, critical acclaim. Um, I really like this album, but I don't... 
I'm, I'm just not able to talk about what I like about it. it like, it's very different. It, it's, um, it's weirdly, like, psychedelic, but also not psychedelic. Like, the music itself doesn't sound psychedelic. It's just, like, thematically psychedelic. Like, this is why I really struggle to describe what kind of music it is. Like, it's essentially folk music, but it's it's kind of wrapped in this thin layer of otherworldly UFO kind of stuff. Um, but it's, I don't know, it, like, it's super interesting. You should definitely check it out. Uh, what else do we have? Vampire Weekend, Father of the Bride. I listened to this because I listened to the Stereo Gum list of the top 100 albums of the decade, and this one was very high up, Father of the Bride by Vampire Weekend. And I will be honest with you, I do not know why people like this band. I actually feel like I'm being trolled. I feel like the whole world is just pretending to like them, uh, purely to confuse me. And um, they seem to get 7s and 8s out of 10 on all of their albums. And I have yet to hear like one thing about them that I like, other than the appearance of um, Danielle Haim or Haim or whatever. Um, genuinely, they just strike me as awful and that's based on many many listens so um you know uh, uh what's that fucking dickhead thing uh yeah um vampire weekend are overrated change my mind um we had a new biffy claro album called balance not symmetry i didn't listen to it because it's a soundtrack to a movie and i don't really like listening to soundtracks without having seen the movie so i don't know <laughs> what to make of that um, what else did we have? The National released an album on May 17th called I Am Easy to Find, um, which runs counter to the theme of the final track on Trouble Will Find Me, which is called Hard to Find. I actually don't know if that's correct. Is it the final track? Ah, who cares? None of, none of you are going to fact check me. Um, but yeah, I Am Easy to Find is the follow-up to their 2017 album, Sleep Well Beast, which I didn't really enjoy. I found it to be quite bloated. I think it has two of their best songs as a band on it, but it's it's coated in a... or it's diluted by an overabundance of slow-paced tracks that don't really go anywhere, in my opinion. Um, I Am Easy to Find is much more vibrant and colorful than that. It has some of their best lyrics, um, I really, really enjoy the lead singer, Matt Berenger. Um, his approach to lyricism, I, I think it's very poetic and magical. Um, and I Am Easy to Find has a lot of features from female artists, which um, which is interesting, not because of any like um, woke reason or like women's rep representation of music type thing, um, but the Nationals' music has always been very beautiful. And then... The, the vocals are always, um, he sings in like a baritone voice where everything sounds like this when he sings and sometimes it even sounds like he's talking. And so to hear that juxtaposed by a female voice, which are typically more um, more bright and, and uplifting, it, it's actually really, really, really nice. Um, it, it's a super, like, um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a super cohesive album. Very very nice to listen to. I saw them live in Vicker Street a few years ago, and for one of the songs, um, Lisa Hannigan joined them. And I thought to myself at the time, like this would sound really good as an album. Like I would totally listen to this, um, this kind of thing regularly. And uh, yeah, I would really highly recommend this album, especially if you're a fan of the National anyway, or even if you like any of their songs. Um, 
I've always found like that the least accessible part of the national is that they have lots of slow songs dotted throughout their albums and so they can feel quite exhausting to listen to sometimes um if you're just not into that kind of thing and I think their latest album I am easy to find really runs counter to that and um I don't know yeah I, I feel like I feel like generally people will enjoy it um what other albums did we have i think that's it for the first five months of the year unless i'm missing something here uh oh there was the denzel curry album on may 31st called zoo z-u-u um this was really good but i can't think of a single standout from it I, i'm pretty sure he released two albums in 2019 anyway um i remember listening to this and really enjoying it and um he also did on Triple J like a version. Uh, he covered Bullets on Parade by Rage Against the Machine, which I really enjoyed. And so that kind of really made me warm to him as an artist. And I checked out that album and I, I really liked it. So um, on June 7th, we had an EP released from Future called Save Me. Um, this one is a lot less future by numbers than the wizard it's only seven tracks i believe um but it opens with him singing in like a very like heartbroken kind of a way and uh it's instantly compelling because you're suddenly learning that we had not even plunged to the darkest depths of future sorrow as yet and that there's more to come and it's only an ep which generally signifies a uh, a broader release um on the horizon or somewhere down the line so um this was like six months ago and future has a very high release rate so i would expect something else from him fairly soon but um save me is a nice little ep a good little placeholder um and it did come out six months after his uh his album the wizard uh, what else do we have? Silver Sun Pickups. I actually didn't listen to that at all. Uh, Bruce Springsteen released Western Stars on June 14th. And um, this album, in my opinion, is the musical equivalent of The Irishman minus the length. Um, but it feels like a eulogy for the stories that Bruce Springsteen used to tell in breakout hits like Born to Run or in... Um, uh, like the darker classics like The River where they're, they are just stories about American people and things that happen in America um, but on Western stars they have more to do with the broader meaning of life and given that Bruce Springsteen is like 70 years old this year um, it really makes sense that this is the type of record that he would make um, but the title track of the album uh, Western stars is just stunning and I really actually recommend that everybody um go watch the music video to it right now and listen to the, just listen to the words in it it's so good it's such a beautiful song um it's about this um it's about this actor who he's aging and his his greatest achievement in life was that he was in a scene with John Wayne in a movie um and it was near the end of John Wayne's career um but this one scene has made him such a hometown hero and um it gets him free drinks everywhere he goes but now like he's still riding off that success and he's getting old and the younger people when they when they see him they're like oh i recognize you from the credit card commercial um as opposed to being like hey you're the actor from all those movies and it's just a great look at a person's mortality as observed through like an avenue that we're all very familiar with which is like the aging um hollywood actor um but it's such a such a good song um like i don't know it's it's just such a good piece of poetry it's something that i think everyone should go listen to right now and then come back here 
and listen to the rest of this fucking podcast because I'm not recording this for my own good. Um, but yeah, no, there, there are so many like good songs in here. It's really nice. It, it's also like uh, simultaneously an ode to 1950s pop music, um, the likes of which I'm not a huge fan. Um, in particular, there's a track on this called There Goes My Miracle, which I really do not like because it's just the kind of music that I just find so sickly and, and dated. Um, but then it's followed up by a track called Hello Sunshine, uh, which is the penultimate track on the album, and it's really good. And it is quite simply about depression, and I think it's just a very interesting take on the subject, and it's always good to hear Bruce Springsteen talk about things like that, because um, he's the man, and he's the boss, and you should do everything that he says. So um, Western Stars by Bruce gets the Midnight Hour thumbs up, which um, Bruce will be delighted about, because he is a huge fan of the Midnight Hour, and he references it in like most of his songs, so... Um, I'm happy to be able to make him happy like I'm happy that I have that kind of power and that I have that kind of level of importance um, we had an EP released by Lil Nas X of Old Town Road fame and I have to be honest I really dug Old Town Road I thought it was class I thought it was really fucking hilarious that it's the first number one single that Trent Reznor has his name attached to because it was made using a beat off of the instrumental Nine Inch Nails album Ghosts um but yeah it's such a like fun song how can you hate it the fact that it wasn't it was like stripped of its fucking country music prowess by billboard or whatever is such a load of bollocks like it completely embodies the fucking spirit of country music and it does it in a like i don't know it does it in like a relevant way and in a way that um i don't think the genre can afford to shun i know country music is huge that's not me like talking shit about country music but like if you have this ability to pierce the mainstream with something, you should absolutely fucking hitch your wagon to it. Um, they even got Billy Ray Cyrus on it for a remix, which was super cool. And just, I don't know, everything about this, th this is like a, this is a very modern approach to music appreciation that I've only kind of learned recently, right? Um, and Bring Me the Horizon are a great example of it. They're a band that like, I, like, I, I kind of like, right? But I don't particularly love but when they go in towards really super mainstream pop directions, I always think to myself, like, this is great. They're going to make a lot of money. And I respect that. And I'm doing the same thing with Lil Nas X, where I don't think he's particularly good. I think he's very, very good at making memes. And I think he's very internet savvy. And I think that Old Town Road is really just a big ball of irony. It's kind of like the way we all think about the song Africa by Toto. We don't know if we like that song or if we're only liking it ironically. And there's no difference anymore. And like <laughs> the further on in my lifetime I live, it's like the line between satire and honesty or the line between sincer sincerity and irony is blurring so much that nobody fucking knows what anybody thinks about anything anymore. And so I listen to fucking Billy Ray Cyrus and Lil Nas X, right? And I'm like, this is really good. This is going to make a lot of money. This is going to generate a lot of buzz. And it's like, I'm a fucking mark for, for fucking Columbia Records, basically. Like, I don't know if I even like it or not. I just respect it. And I feel like in any other fucking era, this, this would not be me at all. I used to hate all of the things that are just done for purely the sake of production and and stuff like that and I used to be such a like anti-mainstream like I don't know it's just, it's just so fucking weird to me this this era of music is so fucking odd um 
but yeah anyway the ep itself is not really that great in all honesty and their old, old town road is on it twice and it is the highlight both times so um yeah that's what i think of that uh tom york released um an album called anima or anima and um it also had like a netflix video thing to accompany it which i never watched i listened to the album a couple of times though and it is pretty damn good i'm not a huge radiohead fan i respect and appreciate them um but i've never been particularly crazy about them like i don't even think i'd go see them live it's actually it's kind of a thing i really don't understand about myself why i don't like them more um i think it's maybe because they have such overzealous fans and i get so put off of something when people demand that i like it and there's something very um antagonistic within me that sort of pulls me away but um yeah this album is good there's there's one lyric in it and i forget what it is but it's something about it's <laughs> i will paraphrase it it's like i am becoming a computer or some bullshit i don't know but um good album in all honesty uh next up we have got purple mountains um which is uh actually a really sad um sort of story purple mountains is like this new uh was a new indie rock band formed by a guy called david berman who is probably most famous as being the singer of a band called the silver jews um which i just i fucking hate that name for a band i don't know why um not because i hate the jews because i know someone out there is going to comment that no i just th- i just don't like the name the silver jews because i feel like it opens you up for for anti-semitism or something like i feel like it oftentimes if you hang if you hand someone the the low-hanging fruit they will take it and i feel like a lot of the time if you base your i uh, i don't know what i'm talking about i was about to go fucking full jordan peterson mode on this anyways i don't really like the name that's fine um but david berman is um like a just a a very interesting artist he released a, a book of poetry called actual air and i bought it when i was about 18 years old and um i um i've always been like really interested in poetry i don't know if anyone knows that about me or if i've ever spoken about that before because it's not like I don't know people always think if people find out that i like poetry they'll ask me a bunch of questions that i don't really know the answers to and stuff like that but um actual air was this really um i don't know like it it made like an impact on my life definitely and um it made an impact to the type of things that i would write at the time i guess and um when i read actual air i was so impressed by it that i wanted to like emulate it in a lot of ways and i had a bunch of um screen names and projects and stuff that i would call artificial air uh, one of them was the playstation account which i gave to nep i don't know if there's any like really old school nep fans like eight or nine years ago nep had an account called artificial air and then that's because of me and i did that because of david berman so um this is a like th- this is an artist who's um who who i've always like really respected and purple mountains is um uh, unfortunately his last project because he committed suicide um in august which was only i think it was like three or four weeks after this album was released and the album has some things in it that definitely point to um his depression and his uh, hopelessness and stuff like that and it's uh 
I don't know. It's such a difficult topic uh, to to grapple with, I guess, um, when you look at it through the lens of someone's creative output and then um, line it up with their life events and and there are lots of like red flags and things that should have been red flags and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It it, it can be so uh, difficult to talk about. I I watched um, Anthony Fantano review Mac Miller's latest song and um, he started crying in it. And I actually, honest to God, because Anthony Fantano is kind of a little bit pompous. And, like, I don't know if I would call him pretentious, but but sometimes I feel like he's very, he's almost disrespectful. But, he, like, he's not actually. It's just he appears this way to me because I'm, like, a an offended music fan or whatever. Um, but I thought that he was joking, and I didn't think that he was actually crying. And I thought that he was, like, taking the piss out of how sad the song felt. Um, but, like, he actually cried, and he wasn't even a a big fan of Mac Miller um he panned the album Swimming not pan I think he only gave it like a 6 out of 10 or something um but it, it's amazing how how much you can glean from somebody's music about their life and um I think everyone knows the the kind of feeling that I'm talking about here and if you want to experience that listen to Purple Mountains and their only album which is called purple mountains um but if you listen to it through the lens of knowing that the singer would go on to um lose his battle with depression i think it's it's like especially profound it's like eerily profound so um that's all ahead of you if that's something that you're looking for um in july we also had new albums from uh, the following bands that I can all pretty much categorize as one thing: uh, Nas, Sum Forty One, Kaiser Chiefs, um, and I don't know Iggy Azalea. <laughs> These are all artists that I just do not feel. I, now I didn't listen to the Sum Forty One album, um, and they're like they're like a band that I will secretly defend uh, against all uh, aggressors. Um, but I, I do not care about Kaiser Chiefs. I definitely don't care about what Nas has to say anymore, even though. I'm pretty sure this one was produced by Kanye, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, no, wait, was it? Was the Lost Lost Tapes Two isn't produced by Kanye? Is it? It was the one before that. Nasir was produced by Kanye. Um, yeah, I don't care about like and anything Nas does uh, post Illmatic, apart from Life Is Good. Those are two super good Nas albums, and then everything else, I'm just everything else is like fine at best and bad at worst. I guess. Um. What was the other thing that I wanted to say here? July 26th, Chance the Rapper released an album called The Big Day, and it is absolute fucking garbage. Complete and utter tripe. Do not listen to this album. It's his debut album. Everything else he's done was mixtapes, and they're all fine, like Acid Rap and, um, like, Acid Rap is pretty good. I I thought the coloring book was excellent. The Big Day is nonsense. I just, it, it is it is purely it's just bad and i don't mean to like drag him because uh, i know that he's a huge listener of the midnight hour and like i am sorry chance if you're listening i just didn't enjoy this i don't know what to tell you um on august 2nd drake released care package which shouldn't even be in here because it's not an album it's compilation but it is very good it's all of his old stuff and like less memorable stuff and like fan favorite stuff that never really made it at the time um but it's very good it's actually a very very good compilation of stuff um and you just feel like there is no wrong that drake can do unless he's in a rap feud um august 9th so this album 
Slipknot released an album called We Are Not Your Kind and Slipknot are in my opinion a very interesting band um, people say stuff like oh they're gimmicky they're just masks uh, blah 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 um, I don't really know if I buy into the notion that Slipknot are all gimmick or all uh, style and no substance or, or anything like that and um, I remember arguing this with somebody in work and I came up with a really good argument which I have now completely fucking forgotten about um, but it was good at the time, and you will just believe me, I guess. Um, but this album, We Are Not Your Kind, is... What is it? Is it their sixth album? Yeah, it is. Um, it's... Oh, man. I I don't know. They're such a... Uh, I don't know. They're just such an interesting entity to me as a band. Um, their first album... Well, they have, like, two first albums, it depends. Their first album with Corey Taylor as Slipknot Proper is their self-titled album of 99, I think it is. And um, it's fine. I don't think it's aged particularly well at all. Um, I remember liking it at the time. I don't listen to it at all now, ever. Um, then their second album, uh, Iowa, is widely considered to be their best and their most heaviest in my opinion, their best album is Tree, the subliminal verses. I think from front to back, it is literally one of the best metal albums of all time. And then after that, they released All Hope Is Gone, which I was not really all that keen on, although it does have some great singles. Then there's The Grey Chapter, which is, um, which is a band trying to figure out who they are in the wake of... Um, losing one of their one of their most influential members um uh and then then we have this album we are not your kind which is which is sensational um it's a completely just um i don't know it's like a refined definitive statement on on what slipknot is and who slipknot are and why you should listen to slipknot and it's great like i just i thoroughly recommend it to everybody it starts out with this like 90 second song called insert coin it's not a song um it's called insert coin and you get the feeling that you're in some fucked up amusement park or arcade and um and you've just inserted a coin into the most fucked up and bizarre game that you will ever play and then the song that starts immediately afterwards is called unsainted and it's one of the lead singles from the album and it's really really good it's got a sick music video it's got like um a creepy orchestra in the background it's got an unbelievable hook and Corey's vocals sound as good as ever then there's a track called birth of the cruel and that's like a play on words about the birth of the cool uh, the miles davis thing um but yeah no it's, it's just it's 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 a really really slick album and it's well worth your time and you should definitely check it out um, I, I just think that they're such a good band in terms of their, I don't know, everything about them, just their image, their style, like the fact that they know exactly who they are and what they're about and how long they've made it and um, how they transcended the new metal genre so successfully and, and so, um, I don't know, in, in such a dignified manner. Like, I just really think that they deserve, like, all of their dues at this point. Like, everybody should be like, yes, they are a good band. It is time to stop hating on them for stupid reasons, such as the fact that they wear masks or whatever. Um, yeah, so what it was was people say stuff like, um, oh, yeah, well, they just make money because of the masks. Uh, uh, like, it's all just gimmick. People just buy into the gimmick. Like, it's, you wouldn't say that about Daft Punk. So, like, fuck off. You know what I mean? Um, interestingly, this album has a metacritic score of 89 out of 100 right which is which is very 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 strong um i don't know many albums with a metacritic score that high um 
like I, I could name like there's like Blonde by Frank Ocean probably My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye and uh, probably To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick like that kind of thing like that's the kind of um, level in terms of critical acclaim that this album is at um, my good friends over at Pitchfork Media gave it a 6.7 and I should add that they criticized it for not having enough hip hop elements for not having enough hip hop elements if this album had a single hip hop element in it Pitchfork would have fucking slated it and said new metal is dead why are they trying to bring back new metal Pitchfork can go fuck themselves um, what else did we have we had another album from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard that I will never listen to because their name is so lame uh, what else did we have on August 23rd, Taylor Swift released Lover. I thought it was okay. I think that she will never reach the heights of 1989 again. Um, a lot of people think that Red is her best album, but I really think that 1989 from front to back is just one of the best pop records of the last decade. Um, Red is very good, but it's too heavy on the ballad side, and 1989 has a nice little... Um, uh, what's the word variation in there of different genres and that's why it is worth your time um lana del rey on august 30th released norman fucking rockwell which is a super good album um if you ever if you're the type of person who watches or sorry who plays football manager and just has music on in the background you should try this for me um put norman fucking rockwell on in the background and you will imagine yourself cruising down a street in 1970s hollywood it's such a i don't know it's just such a lovely listen um and uh and i recommend that you check it out so um let me see what else do we have natasha beddingfield is still out here releasing albums um oh bat for lashes had a new album i didn't even know that um what else do we have Post Malone. I did not listen to his album. Uh, Goo Goo Dolls are still releasing albums. Holy shit. Um, Puddle of Mud are still releasing albums. Jeez, like, the world is mad. Like, you know, you, you think you've heard it all, but, but Puddle of Mud are still out here releasing albums. Uh, September 20th was a big day for music. We had... Um, three albums that i'm going to talk about here one is from blink 182 it's called nine it's it's called nine because it's their ninth studio album uh, according to their own calculations but i think it's actually their eighth <laughs> but um this album is so um famously tom DeLong left blink 182 he was replaced by matt skiba then in 2017 they released an album called california which was their first with matt skiba and actually it might have been 2016 anyways it's got a song called bored to death which is which is really good um it's got that one uh home is such a lonely place like it's it's got good songs um it's got a little bit too much of the the whoa 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 in every track um but it seems like mark hoppus just cannot help himself um so i was intrigued to hear nine because i think that matt skiba's influence on them is pretty good and i also think that in in tom delong's departure we actually got to experience a little bit more of Mark Hoppus's more um oh, what I can only describe as science fiction lyrics like um Tom DeLonge is very much about to the stars and aliens and and songs like Astenia off their self-titled record where it's about a guy in space and it's got these really spacey elements and Tom DeLonge's guitar just sounds spacey like um Tom DeLonge has a great selection of songs to get stoned to because you'll feel like you're in outer space and he does that he does that like distorted effect incredibly well um he's actually he's a very fucking nifty guitar player um for all the shit that Blink get as as musicians like Tom DeLonge is, is very good um but anyways um Mark Hoppus had 
an album with his band Plus 44 in like 2007 called When Your Heart Stops Beating. And there's a track on there um, called... Uh, I, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but there's a song on it where it says like... Um, and every night our lonely planet slides across the universe. Like all of these kinds of things. I like I like lyrics about outer space. What are you going to do? And so I was excited to hear Mark step out um, into that kind of field once more. Out of Tom DeLonge's shadow a little bit. And Nine is just complete and utter fucking garbage. Um, it's, it's like listening to... A bunch of men in their 40s trying to conjure up the spirit of Fortnite. Like, I don't know how to even describe it. It's like the album was written by a phone app or something like that. Um, it's Blink-182 trying to use an algorithm to make them get closer to Imagine Dragons. Like, I don't know. And, like, whatever. I fucking respect it. If, if they're marketing music to kids, like, I, I feel like they're entitled to make a little bit of money after, after everything. Um... But yeah, it, it is unfortunately at the cost of my eardrums. So um, there you go. It's such a shame because California, while it did have too much of the whoa, whoa, whoa's, had, had many great moments that salvaged it and, and many like uh, sing-alongable hooks. And Nine has nothing going for it. It is just, it is an objectively bad album. Um we had Liam Gallagher's second solo effort, Why Me, Why Not, on the same date. And I thought that this was fine, um, a little bit better than As You Were. Um, he seems to be a little bit more comfortable as a solo artist now. Um, he will forever be in the shadow of Oasis, though. Um, even his best solo songs just sound like Oasis songs. There is pretty much nothing that sets him apart. Um I don't think there's any solo song he can do that's better than any Oasis single. Um, but it's fun. And if you need the Oasis itch to be scratched, then go listen to Why Me, Why Not? And uh, it's there. Like Songs like Shockwave and even off the first album, um, songs like Come Back to Me and um, Wall of Glass and stuff. Like They're Oasis-y and they should really do it for you. Then... Also, on um, September 20th, we had um, Digital Shades Volume 2 from M83. And uh, it's, I believe it's an entirely instrumental album, this one. Uh, shit, I need to double check that. Am I right about that? Oh, excuse me. Man, my heartburn is so bad. And uh, I just keep talking and talking, and it's only making me worse. Um, but anyway... Um, um, Digital Shades Volume 2 by M83 is really good M83 is one of my favorite artists um, It's I guess it's a group but I consider it to be just a, it's like a project from a guy called Anthony Gonzalez but um, yeah it, it, this is this is worth listening to it's worth getting lost in it's, it's that kind of it, it's very like otherworldly sounding and, and just really nice um, I think that might be it for September so we will move on to October. Um, I knew that was the next month. I was just scrolling down to see if there was anything in it. So if anyone is like, wow, he didn't even know that October follows September. I fucking knew. Um, City and Color released an album called A Pill for Loneliness. And um, 
this is like I think City and Color is the guy. His name is Dallas Green. He's from the band Alexis on Fire or Alex is on Fire or whoever the fuck you say their name. Um, but City and Color is like his passion project where he sings with his singy voice instead of shouting with his shouty voice. And um, he famously released an album called Sometimes, which is like really fucking good, like a very very good album. And um, I know people who have the logo of the album tattooed on their bodies. In fact, you know one person who has it. And uh, uh, Tom, if you're listening, <laughs> what's up? Um, but yeah, then his other his his solo albums got like progressively worse as, as they went on. Um, but I think A Pill for Loneliness is a nice return to form. And there's a song on there called Astronaut, which I really enjoy. Um, on the same date, we had an album called Deceiver by a band called Dive. It's D-I-I-V, if you're looking for it. And this is like, um, this is like just a solid shoegaze album um, from the first track to the last. And I listened to it yesterday. I really enjoy it. Uh, the Menzingers released an album called Hello Exile, which is just not really that great. Like, it's fine, but it's not... I don't know, it, it's missing something. It's missing the same kick that they used to have or... Um, I don't know, it just didn't really do it for me. And, like, I would be a big fan of theirs. Um, then we had Two Hands, released by Big Thief, their second album of the year. This is really, really good, and it's much more easy to define than UFOF. It's kind of just straightforward folk music. Um, but just as songs, they hold together so well. And just the... Um, I don't know, there's just the folk tread that runs through the whole album is so consistent and so coherent um it's just it's such a fucking pleasant listen when the day that it came out i listened to it on the bus on my way to work and it was just so nice looking out the window and listening to this album so um yeah i, I recommend this one um then as the rest of the month goes on we kind of have a whole lot of nothing i'm sure i'm gonna skip over something here uh that i enjoy but uh whatever like time is money as they say i hate whenever people say that um, or what's the other thing that people say like uh, time is money and then there's another one that's like cash is king if you know anyone who unironically says cash is king I want you to punch them in the face and tell them I told them to go fuck themselves um, what do we have here formerly known as Twigs released an album called Magdalene and I can't remember if I listened to it or not so don't consider that to be an endorsement. Fucking Lil Peep released about six albums, which is uh, which is strange, but what are you going to do? I didn't listen to any of them. Um, Coldplay, Robbie Williams, Labyrinth. Oh, God. Man, I fucking hate that Labyrinth guy so much. I cannot fucking believe that people like him and his music. That song, Beneath Your Beautiful, is such a fucking garbage song. Like, complete and utter tripe and people fucking jizz themselves silly over it and i just cannot get over it it's so bad even lyrically it's just fucking nonsense like um and what's the other one there's that john legend song um there's so beneath your beautiful by labyrinth and then what's the john legend one that uh oh man what is this fucking song called hold on till i google it now and it appears in my fucking related links for the rest of my life John Legend, All of Me, oh my god, that is, now I can remember how it goes as well, oh, I fucking hate that song, it's so fucking sickly, I absolutely fucking despise that kind of music, where it's just little piano ballad and shitty lyrics, oh, good god, um, so that's what I think of that, 
Does anybody know, are there any Midnight Hour historians who can tell me which episode it was where I went on my rant about Bohemian Rhapsody? Because I really want to listen to it again so that I can finalize my thoughts on that song because I can't remember what they are um, and I can't remember what I said, but I just remember talking for about seven and a half minutes straight about how much I fucking hate that song and I would really like someone to point it out to me if anybody has the time and the fucking intellectual fortitude. Um... I think that's it, boys. I think that we're done. Um, and girl, sorry, I know that at least one girl listens to the show. Um, yeah, I think that that is it for the year for me. I'm sure there's probably, hold on, if I go to my Spotify and filter by albums or something, recently played, no, give me my albums, you dumb fuck thing. Um, Oh, there's basically nothing from like nothing recent in here, is there? Um, okay, I can. I guess I can go through here like real quick. There's a, an album called Somewhere City by a band called Origami Angel. It's kind of like just emo, I guess. Um, but it's really good, and and I would recommend you check that out. There's May God Bless Your Hustle by Mike. If you like Earl's Sweatshirt, you will like this. Um, there's also Earl's last thing, uh, Feet of Clay. It's only seven tracks long. It's very interesting, though. Um, he's making some of the most... Um, what would be the word here? Like, subversive hip-hop music? Um, I don't know. It feels like mainstream hip-hop is kind of blending in with emo quite well and earl has all of the characteristics of emo hip-hop but none of the sound qualities of it he's much closer to a trent reznor type figure than he would be to like you know like a good charlotte or uh that kind of thing um i say good charlotte because lil peep um pretty much borrowed his his entire voice from uh from uh joel madden is Joel the singer or is Benji the singer? I think Joel is the singer. Um, and so you, like, I don't know, there are lots of similarities there. And I, I feel like just with the kind of emo um, trend in hip-hop at the moment, that's a much more apt comparison. And also, I don't have to fucking explain myself to you. How did I forget Jesus is King by Kanye West? Holy fucking shit. Um, I didn't think much of this album, honestly. I like I, I was genuinely interested to hear a spiritual um or gospel album from Kanye because um in all honesty the opening track on um The Life of Pablo, the name of which is now blank. Is it Father Stretch My Hands or is that the what the fuck is the opening track on um The Life of Pablo with um with chants in it and all? Uh, ultralight beam Jesus Christ yes of course ultralight beam is what it's called um, like that's such a beautiful song and I was really excited to hear like a whole album of that but instead it's like an album of like yeah um, I am a Christian now but I don't have any singular Christian message to deliver and I'm still just talking about how I am mistreated and it's just like I thought, though, that your crossover into gospel music was supposed to symbolize a fresh start for you and, you know, the, like, more humble beginnings. But instead, it's the same, um, it's the same Kanye, which I have no issue with, I guess, um, thematically. But it's just, it's the same Kanye with none of the bite in his songs, it's like he's all, it's like he's shooting himself in the foot really 
for the sake of what? I don't even understand. Some kind of public image or something? And he says he's never going to make secular music again. Um, which, again, I don't have a problem with. It's just there's nothing new in Jesus is King. And that's fine, too. But, like, the old stuff has also been stripped away for the most part. So it's kind of just... I don't know. It's hollow. And, like, I think hollow Kanye is still better than a lot of other people but i just this album just didn't really do anything for me it it was quite a disappointment and there's the whole fucking drama of a kanye released a kanye release release like the cycle of his release and all of the fucking i don't know it's just it's so exhausting sometimes and it's very hard to be a fan of his and defend him to people i don't know like i in in like 2010 i i hated him and I found, I think generally my life was a lot easier <laughs> when I hated him. Um, there's also this album, um, Hiding Places by Billy Woods and Kenny Segal, uh, which is completely worth your time. I listened to that one yesterday too. It's it's really good. Um, what else is there? Uh, man, I, I download so many fucking albums on this thing. Um, it's really hard for me to know looking through here which ones of these came out this year <laughs> and which ones didn't all my heroes are cornballs by jpeg mafia was honestly i would say like top 25 album of the year for me it's really really good um it's very i i enjoyed uh, jpeg mafia's the, the album before that too but all my heroes are cornballs sounds way more like an artist like really coming to fruition and i just i would definitely recommend that there's also um replica 2019 by 65 days of static which is actually um i'm a huge 65 days of static fan i have all of their albums i have all of their like underground bootleg shit all of the mass download files that were released on their forums back in the early days all of that stuff um so they're one of my favorite bands and i i saw them live too but this album like it's nice and it definitely has its place but I don't feel the need to go out of my way to listen to it. It's an entirely instrumental album, uh, as all of theirs are, except for, like, uh, in The Destruction of Small Ideas, there is a track with a metal band in it called White Peak... I don't I don't remember the name. Um, but, yeah, Replica 2019 is... It's nice, but it's just not... It's really missing a bit of a kick, I guess. Um... A Picture of Good Health by Life. I actually haven't even listened to that one yet. Uh, what else do we have? Why Me, Why Not, and Nine, same day. Yeah, this might be everything. It's too hard for me to tell <laughs> what else came out in 2019. Um, yeah. I'm just going to seamlessly add myself in here from the future, and if I edit this well enough... You won't know that this is me on a different day, but now nah, I'm sure that my voice sounds different. I have just woken up. Um, so here's a weird thing. I was doing that list, and this is a really good example of why you should actually plan your podcasts if you are a podcaster. Um, I went through the list of Wikipedia albums, and there was one glaring omission that I didn't realize until I, like, until immediately after I stopped recording. And by then, it was too late for me to go back in. <laughs> so here I am, um, a couple of days later. And there is, so uh, first up, I want to say one album that I didn't mention that I think is totally worth your time, if you like punk rock music or um, 
maybe even i guess this kind of possibly bridges into hardcore um but there is an album called covert contracts by a band called control top um they are one of those kinds of maybe i wouldn't even say far left but like very very left leaning um punk rock bands who um have just a very interesting raw kind of a sound and i got to see them play most of this album live um earlier on in the year which was super cool for me and they're just um an awesome band um another album that came out that i think some of you would like is the talkies by girl band um i don't really think it's that great um definitely not as good as their first album but i'm just not really into them in general um i don't think that they're bad or anything like that they just are not quite for me um so that's that and then another album is from an irish post-punk band called when uh sorry the album is called when i have fears and the band is called the murder capital and i think you should check out that album too but the main album that i want to talk about is my album of the year for 2019 and a lot of people are going to roll their eyes and uh and be like you told us this already but a lot of people haven't heard me say this so shut the fuck up um this album is called dog roll by a band called fontaine's dc uh, the DC stands for Dublin City. Um, it's a very interesting album in terms of the styles that it blends really seamlessly in it. It kind of does like a post-punk thing, a punk rock thing, um, and some kind of like jangly British invasion type thing. Um, and then it... I So the best way I can explain this, I think, to um, the age group of my audience is um and jake will love this if he still listens um it reminds me of the libertines in uh, uh stylistically i guess i understand that the libertines are one of the most british bands ever and fontaine's dc are one of the most irish bands ever um but the libertines um were not amazing at every genre but they were good enough at at all the genres that they did to merge them really seamlessly and make it sound very cohesive and like it was a normal kind of a sound. Um, I'm a big fan of their first two albums, the way that they blend, um, I guess, like what would be considered indie music at the time, even though everything got fucking classified as indie. You got bands like signed to Columbia Records calling themselves indie indie bands and stuff like that. But that general sound, and then they had like the, the post-punk um and like even punk rock elements like the song horror show and stuff like that um and then the jangly british invasion songs like don't look back into the sun um and can't stand me now um and they just meshed it all up really well um and then coded it with um kind of finely tuned lyrics that exist either as a stream of consciousness or else like a, a piece of like I don't know, college student poetry. Um, but it worked really, really well for them. And Fontaine's DC do basically the same thing, except where the Libertines are British and seek to uh, romanticize elements of English literature, Fontaine's DC are 100% Irish. Um, the main thing that they sing about is the gentrification of Dublin City and the kind of uh, the loss of identity and the loss of innocence of... Um, the country of Ireland, uh, it's mostly centered around Dublin, but there's a track called Roy's Tune, which is about uh, a border town and the complete lack of, of, of anything there, really, um, and the kind of uh, feeling of hopelessness that one has when they watch their national identity kind of disappear. Um, but it's not nationalistic either, I don't think. They're not really 
giving this process a scathing review as much as they are pointing out that it happens and then telling the stories from the front lines kind of um but it's it's such a fucking interesting album like i really really dig it um reminds me of a lot of other post-punk bands that are around but i think that fontaine's dc have the best uh, production um, the album itself sounds like a live album it's just it's very very um frantic and kinetic and straight to the point um the only other thing right is that if you are one of those people who has maybe not listened to like a huge variety of music in your life or something like that and um and i'm not this there's nothing wrong with that also i'm surprised that you're still listening if that's the case um a lot of these lyrics a lot of the vocals on the fontaine's dc record dog Rail, sound like they are just spoken and that really annoys a lot of people so um i guess it isn't for everybody um very little of it is actually sang um but i think that i don't know what it is like i think ordinarily i wouldn't really be interested in that kind of thing like i wasn't really that interested in the streets um i guess like the fall never really interested me that much um but this album just really gets me and i think that the songs are all class and um i got to see them live too and it's one of the best concerts that i've ever been to and i'm going to see them again in july um in a much bigger venue so um yeah jesus christ i cannot believe i forgot about that but i was going off a list and (laughs) i haven't podcasted in a long time um but yeah there we are that's uh it, it would be remiss of me if i didn't get is that how this is that how that's um it would be remiss of me yeah i believe so but um anyway uh listen i've been talking here for a long time by myself it's uh, not an easy thing to do i'm sure you can all hear that i'm under the weather um which is unfortunately the story of my life at this point um i have uh i went for an mri scan a few months ago because my migraines were so bad and it turns out I have nothing wrong with my brain which I was surprised to learn but I have sinusitis on both sides of my face and it's um it's really bad because the thing you use to clean your sinuses is this uh what is it called here this uh this shit sinus rinse right sodium chloride and sodium bicarbonate uh, and you, you basically put this little sachet, if you look at your screen, you won't see it, because I do not do video. Um, you, you put it into this uh, hot water thing, and then you put it up against your nose, and then you squirt it into your nose, and it washes out the whole back of your nose, and sometimes it comes down the back of your throat, and it's rotten. But um, I can't fucking do that, because <laughs> I have a deviated nasal septum, and the fucking fluid won't even go in the whole way around, and they don't know what to do with me. And they're like, oh yeah, we well, can put you in for this operation, and like, the waiting list is like fucking five years or whatever, and so, um, oh man, it's just, it's fucking horrendous. Um, I, I, I really am struggling in life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, but it's definitely something that I think you take for granted, though, because there are days where I have what feels like close to a fully functional nose, and I just feel like, oh my god, this is the best. I am never going to take advantage of this feeling ever again. And um, I do, without fail, every time. So, um, what are you going to do? But, uh, anyways, I didn't think I was going to talk for even one hour here. And you've almost had one and three quarter hours of me talking to myself. My neighbor must wonder what the fuck is wrong with me. Um, but hey, tell me if you actually enjoyed this, because um, 
I, I do like talking to myself and I like that you listen to it, but I don't know how it compares. And uh, I think if it were up to me and if I were a bit more confident, I would do lots of episodes where I talk to myself. Um, the only thing is I feel like there's basically no comedy in them because it's really hard to be funny when you're just by yourself. But um, yes, my promise to you for 2020 is nothing because I am sick of breaking promises to people. But I will try my very best to bring you more episodes of this podcast. Um, I have some people who are lined up to come back on the show. Um, I have at least three episodes in the pipeline, which means you will be hearing them at some stage over the next three months, realistically. Um, And other than that, I'm starting a new job that I'm going to be quite busy with. But once I settle down into it, I should actually end up having more free time in the future. So... Um, I am hoping to do some live streams and stuff like that. I've really enjoyed, I've only done like I think four live streams maybe in the last few months, but I really enjoyed them and um, I'd really like to do more. There's only ever like 12 people in, um, but it's still, it's just fun and very chilled out and um, based on the feedback that I've gotten from other people, they've said the same thing too, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I've definitely given up on the idea of being like... Um, a uh, not even well known, but like even like a known personality on the internet. But I would definitely like to make more content for the people who have stayed and who still value my opinion and stuff because I'm very appreciative of it, honestly. And um, it definitely improves your day when you get a message from somebody that you've never spoken to before. And they know something about you and they want to know something else based on your opinion on another thing that they know. And like, I don't know, it's just it, it's just cool. Um, it's nice to know that people out there are interested, I guess. Um, anyways, to 2020. And um, I do hope that you all have a great year. And uh, hopefully at the end of this year, I'll be doing a better version of a year in review episode and um (laughs) we will all have great years but yeah um i don't know here's to that godspeed my friends Yeah.